0: Watching for the spirit, Father, would you open our, the word to us? Give us a, a hearts that receive your word, that which is truly you. May it become apparent, Lord, and speak to our hearts. I pray for the grace to speak your word and not my own. We ask, Lord, our ears and eyes be open. We love you, Lord, and we, we feed on your word. You make us strong through your word. We become successful and, and, and uh, anointed when we walk in your word may the word teach us today in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I think I will, st- at John chapter one, verse 19, I'm going to read through this section uh, quickly, and then, uh, so you have the overview, and then, then I'll, I'll um, bring you back to sections of it. This is going to be a, an overview, but I'm bringing one particular important point out of it for today. All right, so verse 19, this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? By the way, when John says Jews, this is, this is uh, everybody, <laughs> everybody's Jewish. Um, this is a term that was used. It's not pejorative at all. I don't believe it's a term meant for the religious leaders. It's used all through the writings. They all, they all use this term. It was a common term of the day, but he conve- confessed and did not deny, but confessed. I am not the Christ, the Messiah they asked him, well, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Uh, Why would they, I'm just briefly, why would they ask him if he's Elijah? Well, the prophet Malachi at the very end of the prophecy says, and I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And he will do what? He'll turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children and the hearts of the children back to the fathers. In other words, he'll restore the word of God. It'll be taught again in the family and all will reverence it. You'll come back into to submission. That's so they're saying, are you that guy? And he said, no. And then they said, are you the prophet? And this refers back to the promise uh, that, that Moses said, he, Moses said, there will rise up from your midst. One of your brethren will rise up and he will be a, pro- he will be like me. He will speak to you as a prophet like me. In other words, there's a second Moses coming. Another one who will turn the hearts of the people back to God. Uh, He answered, no, I'm I'm not a second Moses. And they said to him, well, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. Uh, What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. He says, I'm, he quotes Isaiah 40 verse 3 and says, I'm that guy. I'm preparing the hearts of the people to make straight the way of the Lord. In other words, to repent and clean up all the things that are in the way so that the, the, the king, the Messiah can come. And now they had been sent from the Pharisees they asked him and said to him, well, then why then are you baptizing? If you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. John answered them saying, I baptize in water, but among you, stand, uh, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. It's later called Bethabara. This is the down just north of the Dead Sea where the the Jordan River empties into the Dead Sea. There's actually a creek that comes down uh, from the east and meets into the Jordan and all. And John is baptizing in that area. In fact, archaeologists have found a a cave in the area uh, marked with all kinds of Christian markings. Um, It probably was John's where he lived. Verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said after me comes a man who is a higher rank than I for he existed Before me, I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified saying, I have seen, would you say have seen? Notice the past tense. I have seen the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and he remained on him. Say he remained on him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining upon him. This is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the son of God. Three more verses. Again, the next day, would you say the next day? day. John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, behold, the lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. That's John, the apostle, and Andrew. How do you know who to trust? How do you know which leader to follow? How do you know who really loves you? So many people say the right things, promise us the the things we want to hear, even look right. They look strong, dynamic, and even sincere. They speak well, and you can't miss the impressive intellect behind their words. And who among us has not followed such a person, or given our heart to such a person, only to discover that he or she was not who they appeared to be? And the rude awakening we experienced when we made that discovery was not that the person was not as gifted as we thought, but they did not have the character we had hoped in other words, we weren't disappointed by their brain but by their, or their appearance, but by their heart. The love we sought wasn't genuine. The promises weren't kept. The strength faded when pressure arose. And all those beautiful words they spoke turned out to be empty. Not only have most of us experienced this kind of disappointment once or twice most of us have experienced it so often we've become defensive and even tend to distrust all but those who are closest to us. Would you, would you agree with me on that? We, I, I, I could say, well, who's gone through this? I think we all have. I, I, think, I think people are such that uh, we've all been burned and followed or trusted or given our heart to someone Whose character, they seemed so good on the outside, so much like the person we should follow. And yet, once we got into the situation, it, the character was not there. Disappointment has driven us to a state of confusion. We don't know who to trust anymore. This passage that we are studying today is about the testimony John the Baptist gave concerning Jesus. The Apostle John was one of his disciples when that testimony took place. So he's recalling that moment when his rabbi pointed to Jesus and said, in effect, that's the savior. But there's a very valuable insight hidden in this passage, an insight into how to recognize the people whom God trusts, how to recognize the people whom God trusts. John the Baptist had been sent to prepare the way for the Messiah, And God had told John what to watch for so he would recognize him when he saw him. He told John to look for a particular sign. And when he saw it, that this was the person he should follow. And of course, the person he showed him was Jesus. But it's the way he revealed Jesus that we want to look at today. Because if we can see that same sign and let God make those important choices for us, we can start following and trusting and giving our heart to the right people, not the wrong ones. Now that's a lesson worth learning. I had never really understood this section of John. This is the wonderful thing about this, me, daily Bible study, is as I go through it, it makes me really answer questions that I, I've, I've skipped over. This is not John the Apostle describing The baptism of Jesus. The events we've just read about took place at least 40 days after Jesus was baptized. What happened during those 40 days, by the way? Yeah. Jesus had come out to John, had been baptized, and then led by the Spirit into the Judean wilderness. And that's exactly where they are, is down there in the Judean wilderness. So he wandered up into the Judean wilderness for 40 days and had fasted and and. Prayed, and what else? Been tempted by the devil, right. Apparently, Jesus then came back to the place John was baptizing. He returned uh, to that place, and it's around that return that these events took place. John says, first of all, just on the day before he arrived, these leaders came down and asked these questions. But on the day he arrived, and which is what I'm going to show you shortly, The day he arrived, this is what John said. And then on the next day, he said it again. And John and Andrew are standing there beside him as he says it. And that's when they left John the Baptist and went and followed Jesus. John the Baptist's testimony concerning Jesus was very important to the apostle John. He had been one of the prophet's disciples until the day he pointed to Jesus and announced that he was the one for whom they had all been waiting. He does not retell the account of Jesus' baptism because that is not the purpose of this passage. The purpose of the passage is to let us hear the words John the Baptist spoke about Jesus and to tell us what John saw when he baptized him. Apparently, his account begins on the day before Jesus returned to the Jordan River after he spent 40 days in the Judean wilderness. When Jesus first came to John to be baptized, John did not recognize that he was the Messiah. The two men were cousins, and their mothers were very close. You recall that? Elizabeth and Mary. So they must have known each other to some degree. John knew Jesus to be a good man, in fact, a better man than he, but he did not discover that he was the promised Messiah until he was in the very act of baptizing him. When Jesus came up out of the water, John saw the Holy Spirit descend from heaven and remain on Jesus and heard a voice say, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. God had already instructed John on what to watch for. He had told him that he would bring the Messiah to him and would give him a sign to confirm who it was. He said, he upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining upon him. This is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what happened. And then afterward, Jesus had been led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days and was tempted by the devil. But at the end of those 40 days, it appears he came back to talk with John before returning north to the region called Galilee. And it's on the day before he arrived back at the Jordan that John picks up his account. On that day, religious leaders had come down from Jerusalem to interview John. They wanted to determine why God was using him so powerfully. Was he merely a zealous man? Or was he actually the arrival of one of the prophetic figures promised in the scriptures? John assured the leaders who came out to talk to him that he was not the Messiah, but simply a prophet sent by God to prepare the hearts of the people to receive the Messiah. Without identifying Jesus by name, he told them that he knew the Messiah had already arrived. In fact, he had seen him among the crowds who had, came, who had come to be baptized? You, you recall his statement. They, he says, "I'm not He, but among you stands one who is." In other words, He's already here. He's already come out. He's He's among us. He's here. So He's announcing that He, but He's not telling them at this point who it is. On the second day. Jesus returned to the area to talk with John, second day of John's report. And when John saw him approaching, he said, this is the person I've been talking about. That's my paraphrase. In that moment, he also prophesied that Jesus would die for the sins of the world and even proclaimed his preexistence. Then he explained to everyone how he knew this was the right person. He said, as he was baptizing Jesus... God showed him a very specific sign. Now you tell me, what was the sign that John saw that confirmed it? The descent of the Holy Spirit and that he remained on Jesus. As he was baptizing, he saw this happen. I think physically saw it. I don't think it was just a vision, but it, it could have been a vision. It really doesn't matter. But I believe he, I think he saw it. I think the, the heavens opened and the Spirit came down. And the voice of the Lord spoke. Finally, on the third day, John saw Jesus again. And two of his disciples, John and Andrew, were standing beside him. And they heard him repeat the same statement he'd made the day before about Jesus being the Savior. And this time, they decided to meet Jesus. And they began following him. And they never stopped. What did John see? If you still have your Bible out. Uh, John uh, 1 there, verse 32. I, of course, closed mine. Verse 32. John testified saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained on him. He saw the Holy Spirit descend like a dove and rest on Jesus. And please note, the Spirit remained on Jesus. There is no evidence that God trusts the heart of a person more than this. How does God show his approval of anyone? Does he make them rich or powerful? Does he give them a carefree life with no problems? Not of Jesus as the example. (laughs) To see God's approval of a person, we need to look with a different set of eyes. Not our natural eyes, but our spiritual eyes. And what we look for is the presence of God. God's choice of David is a great example. Would you go with me now back to 1 Samuel chapter 16? 1 Samuel chapter 16. You know where I'm going? Now, this is a wonderful example of this. I'm going to read down here a bit. Chapter 16, 1 Samuel verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? since I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. Samuel said, well, how can I go? When Saul hears of it, he'll kill me. And then, then they come up with a deal. Will you go and sacrifice in Bethlehem? Uh, and then you invite Jesse's family to the sacrifice and, and you can do it that way. So, so Saul won't know why you're going. Uh, when he when he arrived in the city, verse four, uh, the elders came out trembling. Why has why has the great prophet come? What have we done, uh, of the city, and to meet him and said, "Do you come in peace, or are we in toast? Are we toast? What have we done?" He said, "I've come in peace." By the way, that shows you how powerful he is. Samuel, that little Samuel that Hannah dedicated, took a nation that is just a mess. And in 25 years, he turned that nation around. He went town to town, city to city. He taught them. He disciplined them. He trained them. So that by the end of this time, Samuel gathers a million people uh, at Mitzvah, and, and they have a great a covenant renewal ceremony. I mean, this prophet was fabulous. So he shows up at Bethlehem, and all Bethlehem goes, why is he here? What did we do? Did you, I didn't do a thing. I don't know why he's here. All right. So he said, I've come in peace, verse 5. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And then it came about when they entered that he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Eliab is the oldest of Jesse's uh, eight, eight sons. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance. Say that. For man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. Say that. But the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And thus, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Samuel said to Jesse, are these all the children? And he said, well, there remains one the youngest, and behold, he's tending the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes. We will wait for his majesty to arrive. It has to be him. Isn't that interesting? What did Samuel have to look with? His spiritual eyes. When he stood there, and first of all, the eldest son, tall and strong, handsome young man, Samuel looks at him and goes, oh, you are so much a king. Oh, yes. You would make, look at the crown, the whole thing. You make a great king. Isn't that how we look? Yeah. That's, how we, that's, how we, that's how we make choices. That's why we vote. You know, um, why did I say that? I didn't say that last night. Anyway, but I, you will say, God help the person that isn't beautiful or handsome. Yeah. You know, they may be the best leader in the world, but uh, they don't look right. right. They don't look, uh, Whatever. So God looks at a different set of, 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 of things altogether. So they go right on down the suns, and now just, now Samuel's watching with spiritual eyes. He's watching for the favor of the Lord. The, 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 he's looking for the Spirit, that's what he's looking for. He's looking for the presence of the Lord, that anointing and witness of the Spirit. Bing, 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 all seven. And finally he says, is this it? And, and, and Jesse says, well no, I got the little one out in the fields, herding sheep. And then Samuel said, and realizes, It's him. So he says, call for him. And we will stand and wait until his majesty arrives. Can you imagine the brothers? (laughs) (laughs) What is this? As we read this account, notice that even the prophet Samuel tended to look for outward evidences to determine a person's leadership potential. That ought to comfort us. Saul, the previous king, had looked like a leader, and Samuel grieved when he was removed. So when David's eldest brother was brought before him, the prophet thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Eliab looked like what Samuel thought a king ought to look like. But God told him he was looking at the wrong thing. Don't look at his appearance or the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, but man looks at the outward, but God looks at the heart. And this is where the problem lies. As humans, we can't see another person's heart. All we can see is the outward. So we're forced to guess at what's inside. Only God knows a person's heart. I don't think we even know our own hearts. Who among us has not been amazed as we watch ourselves react in a way we never expected? Both good and bad. I, I'm sure I don't have the courage, and suddenly the, the situation arises, and you rise up like a lion. I didn't know that was in me. I didn't think that, I, I thought I'd run. I can't believe that I was brave in that moment. Or other things where I, I fail, and I shock myself. I' committed all my life not to do that, and I did it, and I can't believe I did it. We don't know our own hearts. And, and, and there's a real caution here. Many of us, some of us, not many of us, I don't think most of us are burned, but some of us have, have sort of a, a thought that says, I'm really good at reading people. I can pretty well tell uh, their heart. I, I know people. I can, I'm discerning. My thought is, you're lucky. You've made some good choices. It's very much like the parent who has one child and that one child turns out to be just one of those wonderful kids, you know, that does everything they're supposed to do. There are such things. And then that parent says, parenting is easy. I just, I I so know how to parent. And all the rest of us are going, I wish you would have one more. God, please open the womb. You know, Give them one more. It's only fair. (laughs) because you won't get two, I promise you that. Uh, And and, and it will humble you, won't it? I I don't talk a lot about parenting, uh, because I've been one. And it's just plain old humbling. And by the time the children turn out right, you're thinking, God, that is so you and not me, and thank you for your mercy. And so I I don't talk about it a lot. It's like that with this. And, and so many of us, we, we rely on our own understanding. We some of us have a, have a smugness that says I can I, I can do this, but I guarantee you, you keep at it, you're gonna you're gonna make some terrible mistakes, and it'll shock you. You thought you could read people. You thought you could see. You were more intuitive and discerning than that. Look, it's just it's very very complex. Nobody sees the heart of a person, except God. So we have to have him tell us but if i don't know myself let alone you then how can i ever trust someone the answer is that god must show us but before he can do that one i must be humble enough to admit that i'm a hopeless failure at evaluating another person's heart Two, I must know that what to look for, how to watch for those whom God approves. What do I look for? And that's what this lesson's about. Uh, it's a very, this is a very uh, intangible thing I'm trying to describe today, but it's very real, and I, I know that you've already experienced it. I know that God, you, you, I just more or less am trying to say, yes, that, that process, that, that thing you saw, Watch for that. Be bold enough to follow with it. Don't, don't discount it as, as simply uh, intuitive and that can't be trusted. You've got to learn to listen to the heart. Uh, number three, I must be willing to patiently wait until he shows me. Uh, how may, often we say, well, I'm, you know, I'm 25, I've got to be married, and this is the one that's available. Don't do that. <laughs> I've heard people say, uh, well, I... <laughs> No, no, come on, be, be honest, I've said it. I got, it's better to have somebody than nobody, you know, in, 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 a, in a position or whatever. Oh, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's so much better to have nobody than the wrong person. Way better. And yet, we often put timetables. I'm gonna need an answer in six months, if I don't have one by then. I, I got to do something, you know? God knows that. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He sees differently. Look, that's the biggest fight right there. The fear, the impatience. If I don't take this one, I'll never get another. If I don't follow this one, there aren't going to be anyone. There's nobody better. And you get this cynical, fearful, fearful, reactionary thing where you just drop back in your mind and do what you think you have to do. And the result is miserable. This is, we've, we've really hurt ourselves with it. So there has to be that patient that says, God, if I don't see, notice how Samuel, all down all seven and didn't go, well, there's, these are all, so I'll pick one, I'll pick you. He didn't do that. He turned to Jesse and said, none of these are it. Don't you have any more? Because he's confused, but he's not gonna act. He held out. And Jesse says, oh, well, yeah, there is one little one on the fields. We have to wait. And fourthly, I must have the courage and faith to trust those he trusts. Is it really that you're gonna pick this kid who comes in sunburnt from the fields who's been out with the goats and the sheep? Will you trust him and anoint him king of Israel. And, and, and Samuel did, by the way. Let, let you, I want to read that just because it's so cool. If you're still, do you still have Samuel in front of you? Yep. Verse 12. So he sent and brought uh, David in. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes. I think, he's got, I think he's got a dark complexion from his great-grandmother, Ruth. He was ruddy with beautiful eyes and handsome appearance. And the Lord said arise anoint him for this is he. Now this is a this is a moment David will never forget. This is this is a Samuel took the horn of oil. If you ask me to anoint you with oil, I got these little bottles and they're really nice. I can take a little dab on the tip of my finger and I'll anoint you with oil. Samuel has a horn like a cow's horn. It's covered with skin or something. And he takes that thing off and, 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 and David with it stood or maybe kneeled there, probably knelt down. And Samuel will pour the whole horn of oil. It will drizzle all over David and cover him. He's soaked in oil. And, and listen to what it says. It says, and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. I mean, David felt it. David felt the power. The, he, that oil comes over him and the power hit David. And he's, he's anointed. And so, so much so. And, and, the, and, and that spirit of the Lord, he was not baptized in the spirit as you and I can be. That had not been done by Christ yet. Our, his, the temple of his body had not been redeemed as yours has been. So that the spirit, the Holy Spirit, the precious spirit of God can dwell in, a, in, in flesh like ours. But the spirit was on him. Spirit was powerfully on him. So that when he sinned, do you remember in Psalm 51 what he said? One of the great pleas of his heart was, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Oh God, don't depart. Because it was real to him. It was not theology. Don't leave me. And he had watched the Spirit leave Saul. What a horrible thing that was. David knew he had violated God more than, more than Saul had. So he's begging, have mercy on me. And notice he got mercy. Saul, had he begged for mercy, you know, proper, he would have too. Anyway, let's go, here we go, back to this. Watch for this. Recently, the Lord was teaching me personally on, a very, on this very matter. I have my own painful history of trusting the wrong people. And here's what I believe He said, and this is a paraphrase out of my my prayer journal. You are not to trust anyone in whom you do not first see a disciple's heart, which you will recognize by costly choices they have made in the past. Do not listen to their words. Watch their actions. I'll stop there. Does that make sense? People talk a wonderful game. People will tell you how deeply spiritual they are, how they, have, how they long for the souls of all of the world, how they are, they're true missionaries at heart, or whatever. It's talk. You can't trust that talk. God says, I want you to watch. Have you seen them make a selfless, costly choice? One of those crazy choices. Like, why did you do that? Because they were following Jesus where he led. Have you noticed? Your way goes one way and his way goes another. Yes. Yeah. Have they taken the right turn at the Y on the road? And you'll see it. There's people, I, I watch some of you do stuff, I think, no, no, don't do that. That's crazy. I mean, but you're following Jesus radically. And I, I just have to go, wow. Bless your heart. Watch for that. Number two. Secondly, watch for those upon whom you see my spirit rest. If you do not see these things, you are not to move forward. I responded, and I'll develop the second one in a minute. I responded by promising him I would not, by his grace, (laughs) do so. emphasized by his grace because boy, do I have a history, but I asked that he would alert me before I made wrong choices and that he would give me the courage to say no or yes once he had guided me. So Lord, you know my tendency is to lock into my own brain, my own rationale, all of us trying to do the right thing trying to do what pleases God. The problem is your own brain trying to do what pleases God won't please God. Lean not on your own understanding. There's a following. to please God we have, there's a following. His word and his spirit. And your brains trying to do the right thing for God can cause havoc. I have, I've watched others, just savage situations, trying very much with totally the right motive to do the right thing, but they did it with their mind. Now, I'm not trying to turn you into something crazy, but we, listen, you have to wake up the spiritual side of you. This is not, it is not some strange, unbalanced thing. You are a spiritual being, and God is there, and you know it. It's like fish in water. We all know it. In him, we live and move and breathe. Everybody knows it. Atheists know it. They just won't admit it. And so what you're waking up to is you're waking up that side of you that, in our culture, is just totally suppressed. And you're saying, all right, Lord, I'm going to listen to the heart. I'm going to watch with eyes for the spirit. Yes, I'll use my rational mind, too. But I will watch with spiritual eyes. And so I said, Lord, uh, God, would you give me the grace to stop me before I do it? W- wake me up so that I, so I catch myself. I don't just go headlong into the situation. And that he would give me the courage, because it takes courage often. So often, God's ways don't make sense at the moment. It's like, you've got to be kidding. No, I, to say no or yes once he has guided me, and to ignore the inner pressure to give in. After that, I confessed by faith, I do this, I started declaring by faith that God would heal those situations I had caused if I would commit to stop making impulsive choices. Do you hear that? We often want God to wave a, a, a wand, but what, what has to happen is you've got to turn the spout off. You've got to stop making bad choices and then start making good ones, and then the situation heals. You and I can't keep doing the way we've done it and get, expect different results. Yeah, you have to change the flow that's going on. Let's rehearse the key points. Number one, I am to look for a disciple's decision, shown by actions, not words. Has that person made a selfless, costly choice to do what is right? Two, have I observed the presence of the Holy Spirit ministering through that person? Have I seen it more than once? Let me give you an illustration of this that came to mind. When Mary and I were teaching, I was teaching at the Bible college and our children were little and we were living in, um, at the time in Monrovia, California. I'd drive into the, uh, to the Bible college. And... Um, they were, we had, were attending the Pasadena Foursquare Church, and then they were planting a church in Monrovia out of the Pasadena Foursquare Church. And so we joined that little church plant group, and we went over to what was an old Foursquare church with almost nobody left, you know, just a, a very few old people, and uh, and we became part of that new team that you know was was I mean all all we were doing was attending, um, but we were part of this. The only music we had uh, at that, in those early stages was an, an older guy who played the accordion. Now, even then, the accordion wasn't cool. <laughs> <laughs> and he would stand up there, and maybe one or two people would sort of sing with him or something, and he'd, he'd, he'd play the accordion. Now, that sounds maybe horrible. It's all right in a polka band, but it, it, it's, it's like... <laughs> The only thing in this is God liked it. And his presence would come. And people start crying and repenting and they're worshiping. (laughs) And the church grew, I mean, young families, all these people coming in, that the things, this old building's packing out. And, and it wasn't the preaching. Uh, anyway, uh, but it, 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 and then it grew so big that we drew the attention of, of, of some of the, the leaders from the um, Bible college and all, and they came over and they said, You know, what's great, what's happening, but that music's terrible. You have got to get rid of that music. Uh, you know, you're supposed to have certain kinds of chords, and you're using the wrong chords. And uh, you know, the, you're not current in the songs. Uh, you know, the accordion has got to go, and and all of this. And so they took over, and and by George, we began to be hip, and we had the right, we had the right music, and we had young people, and it was cool. And you know what happened? Yeah. <laughs> It was fine. It was very well done. But God wasn't in it particularly at all. And the church actually, with the right kind of music, declined. Really interesting In fact. It finally folded. Isn't that interesting? What is God thinking? What did God see? Why would he anoint an old guy with an accordion and not a hip band? What did he see? The heart. He tells us who he trusts. And he trusts who he trusts. He trusts hearts. And so you'll find this is very illogical. You cannot use your logic. You cannot follow those sorts of things. God will show you how his presence will come and remain his presence will be there. There'll be a, you'll you'll sense when you're someone's ministering or somebody's talking or so, they do even do what they do. There's just a divine enablement to this thing. It's just better than it should be. Something's going on here, and and people often will we feel very thankful. They just love having that person around or doing what they do because there is something of help that's coming to everybody from it. Don't you know people like that? Not just in ministry. You can see it in every area of life. So what does the Holy Spirit look like? How can I tell if he's resting on someone? When John saw the Spirit, he appeared like a dove coming down from heaven. But that was a very unusual situation. And surely we're not supposed to watch for doves. No, please don't. There's probably undoubtedly people who do. No, most of the time, God's Spirit is invisible. But what we can see or sense, or feel, is his influence on someone, or his power working through them. Listen, why don't you read this with me? The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus is likening the Holy Spirit to the influence of wind, and so he picture, you might picture a tree, and this great tree. The branches are moving and the leaves are going and all of this. You can't see the wind. You can feel it, but you can't see it. It's an unseen force, an influence that's acting on that thing. And he says, that's what the Holy Spirit's like. When people are born of the Spirit, they're like that tree that's being moved by the wind, influenced by an unseen force. There's something at work in them that you can't see with the eyes. So are those upon whom the Spirit is at work. Now, he even tells us how many people that's supposed to happen to. How many is it? Everyone who is born of the Spirit. This is the way all of us should be working. Every one of us has a right to expect the influence and power of God to be at work through us. So if he is not, that's not a good sign. I have learned over the years that if there is a religious leader in particular, really any leader, but what are you going to do? But religious leaders... If there is a religious leader, they may look right, they may be eloquent, and they may even say the sort right sort of things. But there is no evident anointing, and I'm not talking about twitching or funny things. I'm talking about that witness, that sense. It's like God comes in the room with them. You know what I'm saying? If it's not there, beware. Something's wrong. And I found it's probably worse than you think. I'm not trying to cast aspersions, I'm just telling you my experience. I've had people and I think, why? You know, they, I, I, I like that person, they do fine. It, but there's nothing, it's flat, it's empty. And then as time goes on, you find that their personal life was either flawed or very flat. Something was deeply wrong inside. God knows the heart. And he will show us who he trusts by who the spirit comes upon and remains upon. And you can see it. And if you'll trust your instincts, you'll trust your heart, you'll see these things. For example, one person might do something properly or even very well. But there's no evidence of any divine assistance. There's no effect on others that's out of the ordinary. It's just someone doing what people do. But another person does the same thing. But there's something different when they do it. There's a feeling of peace or safety or cleanness. There's, their words strike the heart, even, even those, if those words weren't said as well as the first person. Though there may be nothing about that person that draws us to admire them, when they do what they do, we tend to feel closer to God. They seem to be helped by an unseen influence. When they're around, problems find resolution. Confusion finds clarity. Anger grows peaceful. Loneliness gives way to acceptance and promises. Even little ones seem to find ways to be kept. You can't measure this kind of thing it's in a test tube. It's discerned intuitively. And it often surprises us because we weren't expecting it. But when we let such people into our lives, we won't grow disappointed with them as time passes. Instead, we'll tend to feel increasingly grateful that we met them. Yes, they too will have flaws. But even when they fail, they will fail with integrity. You won't have to catch them. They'll confess. A brief application. John saw a dove. Samuel didn't see Israel's next king until the youngest of eight came in from the fields. But they made the right choice because they waited until God showed them his choice. We'd be wise to do the same. Would you stand with me? My hope for this message, one, is to simply release you, encourage you to begin trusting the leading of the spirit that i know he's giving you it's not a matter of let's start the holy spirit to talk to you for us it's a matter of going all right i'm going to listen to that is wanted to, to trust that but it's all the second is this some of us have some pretty painful histories we've followed the wrong religious leaders to the point that we don't trust anybody we've uh, we've given our heart to one person after another that did not love us. And we just seem to have a propensity to make the wrong choice. I do. You don't want to follow me in the checkout line. Uh, If if I were a gambler, I would be on the streets in a week. I have absolutely no luck. And I actually believe that's a a work of God. I believe luck is a demon. So if you have it, you want to get rid of it. Yeah. As a good Christian, you should have terrible luck. I'm serious. Because you don't need it. You follow the Spirit and you are promised that as you as you follow the word of the Lord, you will prosper in everything you do. You got you have blessing, lot luck, but you can't have both, by the way. You turn to luck, he'll take the blessing away. Because you're serving an idol. He will not give you both. You pick one or the other. You pull tabs, you do you do lotto, he leaves. You don't want luck. You want blessing. Yeah. How many can testify and say a blessing is so real, so reliable, so solid, I wouldn't go any other way? Absolutely, absolutely. So I got no luck whatsoever. I can't, and, and frankly, my judgment uh, is, 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 is just not good. But if I'll do what he's shown me to do, I can make good choices. And I want hope to rise in your heart. You can too. You can find the 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 right people. You can you can find those who love you. You can trust. You can find who to trust. I've actually been praying. Lord, would you show me who my friends are? I got lots of people, but who really loves me? And and then he said to me, and let's make you a good friend too. Yeah, we're down to those sorts of things. And and he's beginning to show me people, and I wouldn't have known who it is, you know, in the natural. Lots of smiling faces. Lots of good people. But he starts saying, that, per- that person loves you. Don't, don't take for granted that. That person loves you. Isn't that cool? He will show us these things. He'll show, he wants to show all of us these things. I just pray hope will rise up in you. You are not going to just get burned the rest of your life. No, you have bad instincts, of course. Hallelujah. <laughs> but he who knows the heart, if you will have eyes to see, is already showing you who he trusts. Father God, you are such a good father, such a faithful Lord. Just empower your sons and daughters. Lord, open our eyes to see. Give us the courage to follow what you, we see in you. Show us, Lord, your disciples. Show us your anointing that we might follow and trust, that we might love and embrace those you trust. You Lord, this will change everything. This can change our lives. And we thank you for being there in Jesus' powerful name. If you agree with me, would you say amen? Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.